1 Thessalonians 1. I'll go ahead and uh, read the first chapter to begin with and then uh, work from there. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy unto the church of Thessalonica of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and your labor of love and patience and hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of me and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy, of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place, your faith to God's word is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how ye turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, and whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So this chapter speaks of the fruit of the gospel. Just like if you plant the right seeds, you can grow the right plant, if that is a fruit plant, um, as I know, I know fruit trees are rarely grow, grown from seeds anymore. They're usually grafted to the root of another uh, tree, like a crab apple tree. With, and, uh, but if you, you take that, that plant, and with watering and care, it can grow and produce fruit. And so with the gospel, with the planting of the gospel, the, the giving of the gospel to someone, and the watering of that, it can grow and produce fruit. And in this passage, in 1 Thessalonians 1, we find three fruits that the gospel produces in our lives, which every believer should cultivate and live to encourage others. So the first fruit that we see this morning in 1 Thessalonians 1 is that the gospel produces good works. And the, Thessalon the Thessalonians, the Thessalonian church, they were known for these good works. I mentioned that in the reading just a moment ago, that their reputation preceded them, that uh, they were a great testimony and a great example of what a church should be like. And so we'll keep that in mind this morning, that Thessalonica was a good example. Now, they weren't perfect. In fact, the reason Paul writes the book of 1 Thessalonians is first to encourage and, and to describe Paul's appreciation to God and to the Thessalonians of such a good example of what a church should be. 
But also, he had sent um, Timothy. We see this recorded in Acts, uh, around Acts 16. Um, Thessalonica was a stopping point in Paul's second missionary trip, his second missionary journey. And he had had a vision uh, of a man saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Thessalonica was the main city in Macedonia. Macedonia is the country just north of Greece. And so Paul came over from Asia Minor, which is Turkey today. So he comes across from that region where he had spent a good portion of his time previously on the second missionary journey as well as the first missionary journey. And he comes over to Macedonia and brings the gospel there to this town for the first time and begins, Paul founds the church of Thessalonica, the church of the Thessalonians in the book of Acts. And you can see that back around Acts 16 and uh, following chapters. He proceeds from there after spending some time there and there was some, some uh, uprising there. He, he began by ministering in the synagogue and uh, he had to leave because of the persecution and moved on to the next city and, and visited several cities in Macedonia and then went on to Greece. And while he was in Athens, he had Silas and Timothy stay behind in Thessalonica and, and visit some of the other cities as well. And at one point, Timothy is in Thessal Thessalonica and he comes to where Paul is when he writes this book and he gives Paul a report of how the church of Thessalonica, how they are doing. And after hearing that report, and much of it is good, as he, as he mentions here in chapter 1, Paul writes this book both to encourage them, because Thessalonica was one of the first churches to experience some rather um, fierce persecution, perhaps even fatalities for the uh, martyrs for the Christian faith. In Thessalonica, they were suffering persecution. And so Paul writes to encourage them, and encouraged them for the good works that, that they were doing and the good example that they were setting as a church in Macedonia, a recently founded church by Paul himself. And he does write, later on in the book, he writes, for example, in chapter 4, to address some ethical issues that they had. They weren't perfect. They had some things that needed to be corrected, needed to be adjusted to be a better example, to be even better. And all of us can, can learn from that, that even when we are good examples of a Christian or of a church, that there's always areas that we can improve in. And Paul writes to address those needs. And then he also write, uh, writes to address, uh, to address some concerns that the church of the Thessalonians had, some misunderstandings they had of eschatology, of end times events, because they understood that Christ had promised to return. But they had the misconception that those who died before Christ returned, because remember, we believe that Christ can return at any time. And they believe this here at this time. And many people in the first century church believed that Jesus was going to return during their lifetime, as many of us here believe today. They believed Jesus was going to return during their lifetime, back in the first century. And so when people, when friends and family members died in the church of Thessalonica, whether they were martyred or whether they died of health reasons, or, they became concerned that 
what's going to happen to them? They've died and Jesus hasn't returned yet. And so Paul is going to write to them and let them know that they are not going to have any disadvantage. In fact, they're going to be risen first at the rapture. And then we which were alive and remain will join them in that rapture. So that's going to come up toward the end of the book. And then he'll write the book of 2 Thessalonians to clarify that even further for the Thessalonians. So here in 1 Thessalonians 1, you even see that hinted at, that last part that I mentioned in verse 10. But he especially mentions three fruits of the gospel here in the first chapter of 1 Thessalonians, after his greeting in, in verse 1. And in, we'll look, let's look at verse 1 again and see that the gospel produces good works. And you see the gospel brings grace and peace. And this is part of his typical greeting, uh, although it, there is some differences here. We'll look at verse 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God, the Father, and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And oftentimes he puts different titles for God in his addresses. If you look at the different um, way that Paul addresses, he, he very often says grace and peace. But he's emphasizing especially grace from peace from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ, reminding the Thessalonians that God is their Father and he's, he's going to give them grace and peace even in the midst of suffering, in the midst of losing loved ones as apparently some had died in their church. And they needed some comfort. They needed some encouragement. And so a couple of the fruits of the gospel are the grace and peace that God brings to the hearts of believers and to the church. And Paul is going to... Uh, that is part of the purpose of this book. And it's part of the greeting right here in the first verse. And so notice in verse 2 now, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Notice he's thanking God for all of the Thessalonian church. And I am very thankful for each one of you who are here in this church, who are members of this church or regular attenders, um, who help in this church, who are here this morning. And, and Paul is giving thanks for everyone who is in the church of Thessalonica. We should be thankful for each and every person in the church and never take anyone for granted and uh, be thankful for everyone God blesses the church with. And so you also see the praise to God that Paul is, th is thankful that those people are in the church and he's thanking God for bringing them. And let's always remember that it's God who builds the church. It's God who draws people in. And he thanks God for all the people in the Thessalonian church. So he praises God. And, and the praise of God is another one of those good works, those good uh, fruit of the gospel. And let's look at verse 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith. And there you see good works specifically mentioned as a fruit of the gospel. Remembering without ceasing. In other words, don't ever forget your work of faith. Or he's never going to forget. As he's thanking God for the Thessalonians, he's never going to forget their good works, their faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ and in the sight of God our Father, says verse 3. So notice he highlights three of the cardinal fruits of the gospel 
faith, love, and hope. Patience of hope, labor of love, work of faith. So their faith was not was one that was evidenced by their works as a fruit of the gospel, that they believed in Jesus and they acted upon their faith. People could, could, could see a difference in the lives of the people here in this church of Thessalonica because of their faith. And their faith is what empowered them to endure the suffering that they had to face and some of the persecution from the Jews and other residents of Thessalonica and Macedonia that, that had driven Paul away. He had had to leave. And so they had such a faith that they were willing to stay there and, and face that persecution. And today we see that in places where the gospel is not readily um, tolerated, in places like China, Muslim countries, um, some of the Latin American countries where Christianity is persecuted to some extent in various different, uh, in, even in Europe. Uh, there, it is not always easy to practice your faith the way that we do here in the United States so far. And, 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 and I know that there's dangers even to the free exercise of our faith that is guaranteed by our First Amendment right even here today and some concerns that we have as we see laws and court rulings changing that do not seem to, to, to bode well for our freedom of religion here. But right now we still have the ability to meet here this morning without concern that the police are going to come in and uh, question or that I'll have to submit my sermons to the mayor or the governor or anything like that. We have the freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom of exercise, freedom, uh, you know, freedom to exercise our faith and freedom to assemble here this morning in this country and we're thankful for that. Um, they, even in the face of, uh, of persecution, the faith of Thessalon the Thessalonian Christians was strong. And the labor of love. Uh, I appreciate so much the labor of love that the people who came out to clean yesterday had here in this church. And that came out and helped at the parsonage all summer long. It's a labor of love. Because you love this church, you came and labored. And I know that some are not able to do all the same type of labors, physical labors and such. And there's different gifts and different amounts of time that are available and different health conditions. And some, for some, a labor of love is for you is, is praying for your church or praying for um, friends and family of this church and missionaries or, or financial support or whatever your labor of love is for this church or for God in general. And uh, Paul is very thankful, as I am thankful, for the labor of love of the church of Thessalonica. And then the hope, the patience of hope. Why is someone willing to endure persecution? Why is someone willing to keep coming to church and keep suffering through different uh, trials of life, whether it be health or otherwise, or financial or family or social or career? Why are we willing to endure through this life and keep doing what God calls us to do even when that is difficult? It's because of the hope that we have that one day we'll stand before God and we'll answer for how we lived in this life and, and, and receive rewards for our faithfulness. We have that hope. And Paul's going to speak of that in, in future chapters of this book. 
of the hope that we have in the future and the patience that that gives us now to go through the difficult times in this life, whether that be persecution or difficult times otherwise. We have patience because of the hope that we have in Christ. So that is all part of the fruit of the gospel, that when the, the gospel bears that fruit of our lives and we come to salvation, we put our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, some of the fruits of that are love and faith and hope and the patience that comes with the hope, the labor that comes with the love and the work that comes with the faith. Verse 4, Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. So notice that he calls them, notice Paul calls the members of the church of Thessalonica his brothers. He's not saying, hey, followers, um, he does tell them to follow him a little bit later, but he's not saying, hey, all of you underlings here, listen to what I have to say. No, he's saying, brothers, beloved, he loves them. He's putting himself on the same level with them, brothers. I, and telling them how much he loves them. And, and notice the word, your election of God. Your election of God refers to God uh, choosing us. And I believe this refers, you know, some will say that God chooses some people to go to heaven and some people to go to hell. And I, I don't believe in the way that some would de- describe that. Um, the way I would describe that is God has chosen how we are to be saved, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. That is through God's providing His only begotten Son to die on the cross for our sins. He chose that as the way that we are to be saved by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. So He chose to save those who believe. He chooses not to, he chooses not to save those who reject Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so those who believe are the chosen. They are the elect. And we know that God knows everything. He knows the future. And so some people struggle to explain that. Well, God knew who would believe. So you could say God chose them. Before the foundation of the world, he knew, you know, before he created man, he knew who would put their faith. But he also gives us all a free will. It says in Scripture that God is not willing that any should perish. So you can't say that's part of what he wants. He does not want anyone to go to hell, but he gives everyone the free choice to accept or reject Christ. And yes, he knows, but uh, C.S. Lewis explained it this way. Uh, He explained God's foreknowledge as, to God, all of human history is like a book that he could page through. To us, we're on that one page. And we can look back at the pages before us, but we, can't, we don't know what's on the pages ahead of us. God knows the whole book, all of human history. Now, he intervenes, so that's not a perfect illustration, because he intervenes in the book. But a lot of times, that intervention of God is dependent partly on us and our response to God and our prayer. Now, oftentimes, there are prayers that God is just waiting to answer if we just ask him. He said, Seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door shall be open. Ask and it shall be given unto you. And God is waiting to intervene in our lives and just waiting for us to ask him, waiting for us to align ourselves to do his will. We're to pray according to his will, what he wants for us to do. And then God will intervene and, and set us in that way. Give us 
open that door. Give us that request. If that is in His will, and we are praying within His will. Uh, another way that I've heard God's um, sovereignty and yet the free will of man explained is this, is that it's like playing chess with God, if that were possible. That uh, God knows every move we are going to make before we make it. But he's not forcing us to make those moves. We make the moves for ourselves. He knows what moves we're going to make. And he can intervene in our lives despite what moves we make. He can counter those moves. But he also gives us a freedom. He's, we're not robots, and he gives us the freedom to make our own choices. And there's consequences for making the wrong choices. And that's up to us. But yet God's will for all of humanity as a whole and for the world and for our country, you know, all the choices man makes, because God knows what choices we're going to make, God has counter moves and he is going to work his will. At the appointed time, Christ is going to return and he will rule. And Christ, uh, God had a plan. God had the plan for Christ to be born in Bethlehem. And that happened. Despite every, all the choices man made, God's will was done. For Christ being born in Bethlehem and Christ dying, that sacrificial death, was despite anything that man could do, God's will was done in that big picture. So, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, I believe that, that helps explain what that word election, that, that you know, some uh, would, would explain in a different way. But verse 5, let's look at verse 5. And the, the first fruit of the gospel in this passage that we saw was good works. The second fruit that the gospel produces is discipleship. Discipleship. Verse 5, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Ghost, in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became, verse 6, and ye became followers of us and of the Lord, and have received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Ghost." so that ye were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak of anything. And in these verses you see, especially in verses 5 and 6, you see that you see discipleship. Paul and Silas and Timothy and Silvanus, they were examples to the church of Thessalonica. They were the missionaries that went in, began the church, and they were examples of what believers should be. And as the Thessalonians came to faith in Jesus Christ, as they chose to put their faith in Jesus Christ and were saved, born again, and the church began, and the church was founded there by Paul, they began to follow in the example of Paul and his companions. And that's discipleship, that they are following in their steps according to God's word 
And, and in the Great Commission, we see discipleship, where it says, Go ye into all the world and teach all nations, all things, whatsoever I commanded of you. That is part of the Great Commission, discipleship, both to give the gospel and to disciple believers, to train them to follow Christ's commands, to become more like Christ, should be our goal in life as believers. Uh, even the word Christian, as I've mentioned before, means little Christ. And it was first used in Antioch to make fun of believers, to make fun of disciples of Christ, because uh, they were acting like Jesus. So they said, oh, you little Christ, you little little Jesus. Um, and now it's been a word that has stuck down now through the centuries of Christianity to describe believers in Jesus. And you see, the gospel is not just words in verse 4. It's power, the Holy Spirit, and assurance. Look at verse 4 again. For our gospel came not in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance. And that power of God's word, it's not like any other words of any other book, because God inspired the words of the gospel, inspired the words of the Bible. And so the preaching of God's word, the giving of the gospel using God's word, has power, because it's God's authority behind it. And it also the Holy Ghost will use God's word, it will use the gospel, the Holy Ghost works on the hearts of non-believers to convict them of their need for salvation. And in believers, the Holy Ghost indwells us and moves us and convicts us of what we should do for God and how we should live for God. And, and then we are to be the, that testimony to others that when they see us, they see an example of what a believer should be, hopefully. Um, and none of us are perfect, and, and Paul writes this letter partly to address some of those needs to be set apart to God and to be a good testimony for God. And in verse 5, the third one, um, you have the gospel is not just in word, but it's in power, it's in Holy Ghost, and it's in much assurance. As we know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. In other words, there's the proof of the gospel partly by the lives. You know, in the, word, the word martyr means witness. And whether living or dying for Christ, we are witnesses for Christ and that when, that what helps draw other people and, and, and prove the gospel to be true and powerful is our lives, our testimony. And the fact that people at Thessalonica and Christians throughout the centuries have been willing to die for their faith was powerful. And the Roman government, when it got involved in persecuting the church and even trying to wipe it out in the late 200s and early 300s, they were not successful because people saw that the Christians were willing to lay down their lives, if necessary. They were willing to die for their faith. And that testimony was an assurance that the gospel is true because who would die for the gospel if the gospel is not true? So they have that assurance of the gospel. As you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. So that testimony of Paul and his companions 
and it was discipled down into the Thessalonians, that they also became examples. You see this in verses 6 and 7. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. So there was, it was not easy. They did not have the freedom that we have today here in America, as, as much freedom. And they, they were afflicted by the Jews and by the government there and by the people of Thessalonica and Macedonia and the Jews. So much affliction with joy in the Holy Ghost. So despite the affliction, despite the outward trouble that they were going through in Thessalonica, they had joy of the Holy Ghost. And if you remember in the book of Acts, when Peter and John were beaten, you know, they were warned by the Jewish religious leaders, don't preach the gospel anymore. And they beat them as a warning and let them go. And they went away rejoicing to suffer for Christ. And so they had that joy in Thessalonica as well. Verse 7, So that ye were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. And uh, one, one illustration that I've heard many times, and perhaps you heard, is that um, when you put a tea bag in hot water, that brings out whatever is in that tea bag. And when you put a, a Christian or a person in difficult circumstances, it brings out their character and, of course, reveals if they need to improve that character, or reveals if they're, if they're putting their faith in Christ and, and, and trying to be like him, like the Thessalonians were in, in, in many ways. And Paul praises them for that, so that you were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. They were an example church, a noteworthy church that stood out in, among all the other churches that were being started by Paul. And he praises them. So he writes this letter, his first epistle, from what we know, to Thessalonica to encourage them and say, you know, you guys are really standing out among all the other churches around you as an example of what a church should be like. Keep up the good work. Despite all the persecution, despite the difficulty and some of the challenges that you are facing and some of the needs for improvement that you have, you are good examples of what a church should be like. And that's what we want to live up to here at the Bible Church of Lakeshore and as individual believers today to be a good example of a believer, to be the good example of a church. The third fruit of the gospel is the spread of the gospel. The spread of the gospel through converts. You know, the Paul had given the gospel to the Thessalonians and the, those who believed it, they were the beginning of that church in Thessalonica. But then those converts, it didn't stop with them. They didn't just form their church and said, okay, we're the ones that believe, so let's stick together and hide out here in this underground church. They didn't do that. They went out and reached more people with the gospel and more converts. The gospel was spread even more. The idea, you know, I think I mentioned this maybe even last week, of uh, the song that I learned when I was in Sunday school and maybe second grade, you tell two people, and that person, those two people, tell two people, each of them, and all those four tell two people, and it just multiplies from there. Uh, and the song just goes on, and, and I can't remember all the words, but the idea is 
multiplication of the gospel exponentially as each person goes out and tells others. And that's what's happening here in Thessalonica. That's the third fruit of the gospel. Look at verse 7. So you were examples to all that believe in Macedonia. In Achaia, in verse 8, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord. So the gospel is being spread not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. So now when Paul goes to a city bringing the gospel, they've already heard. Because they've, before Paul gets to his next place, they've already heard that Paul is coming and they know about Paul and they know what Paul is preaching and they know the power of that message and the word of God and the gospel because they've already heard of the church of Thessalonica, the Thessalonian church. And their reputation precedes Paul, and precedes the gospel. And, and, and oftentimes, on the flip side, that is the, the number one thing you will hear as an excuse today, oftentimes anyway, is, oh, well, what about all the church hypocrites? You know, what about those people that say they're Christians? I don't want to be like them. You know, if, from people who don't want to accept it, don't want to hear the gospel, sometimes they'll use bad examples as the reason. But the good examples, if we are a good example of a Christian, a good example of a church, that opens people up to hearing the gospel, to hearing our message. And that is what Paul is praising here, glorifying God, thanking God, and letting the church of Thessalonica know that he appreciates and so thankful for them in spreading the gospel. In verse 9, for they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So notice that change that happened, and it's spreading the gospel further because people know that, okay, Paul went to that city, and those people stopped worshiping idols. Something changed them. Something that Paul said changed them. It was the power of the gospel. It was not just in word, but power and the Holy Ghost and much assurance. In verse 10, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So converts to the gospel, they demonstrate their faith in Christ as they have the peace that Christ will one day return, and they're looking forward to that. They're looking forward to that return. Now, they don't have a perfect understanding in the church of Thessalonica because Paul's going to address that. They're, they're expecting Christ to return during their life. Before they die, they're expecting Jesus to return. And they're very disappointed when they see people around them in the church begin to die. And Paul will address that in 1 Thessalonians 5. But here he notes the faith that they had in verse 10 that is helping to spread the gospel because they have that hope. They're waiting for Christ to return eagerly and they're working diligently to spread the gospel and the gospel is spreading because they have that hope that Jesus is going to return and they know that Jesus delivered them from the wrath that is to come. They have such a peace and such a joy just knowing that they will not go to hell. 
They have been delivered from God's wrath through Jesus Christ and His paying the penalty for our sins. And they have that hope now that Jesus will return even during their lifetime. And Paul's going to correct them and know, hey, you still have the hope even if you die, even for each one who dies. We still have the hope. We are all going to be with God in heaven. We are all going to have our bodies resurrected one day. And so we are all still delivered from the wrath that is to come, even if Jesus does not come in our lifetime. When you plant a seed in a garden, for example, a kernel of corn, one kernel of corn does not grow into a plant that produces one corn. It produces usually one or two, maybe three, usually two ears of corn, and each ear of corn on that stalk has multiple kernels of corns. And that's the power of the gospel that I was mentioning earlier in the spread of the gospel. The gospel produces fruit. We've now examined three fruits of the gospel. Good works, discipleship, and the spread of the gospel, the further spread of the gospel. Those are three fruits that the gospel bears. The power of the gospel. The Holy Ghost working through us, working through our church, working through each one of us as believers. So let's ask us each day, each week, are we doing our best for Christ? Are we being a good example that when people see us, see our lives, see our church, that they become interested, they become open to the gospel, that they recognize the power of God working in us, the joy that we have in Christ, even in afflictions, the hope, the patience of hope that we have as we look forward to the return of Christ, as we look forward to heaven, the labor of love that we have, that because we love God so much and we, we love our church, we love one another, and we love our community, we love the lost, we want to reach them with the gospel, and it, it, it produces a labor of love in our lives and in our church and the work of faith. So, many, so much testimony of faith uh, that we have in God's word through the Thessalonians and in each one of our lives today, I hope and I pray that that will be the case for us and let us challenge ourselves to improve and as we'll see Paul call for improvement even from the Thessalonica, even, even in from the Thessalonians. Even though we see in this first chapter how good an example the Thessalonians are, and yet they have some work to be done. They have some things they need to learn better, some things they need to do better, and Paul's going to address those in future chapters, and we'll see those in future weeks. And let us determine as we, do, as we study 1 Thessalonians to increase our role in Christ's kingdom as an example of Christ, as a believer, as a member of this church. Let's bow for prayer.